Can you all say Happy Diwali? <laughs> These are the reasons to celebrate Diwali. One is the victory of Ram. Ram's victory was a few days ago, but according to the epic Ramayana, Ram returned home to his capital city in northern India, Ayodhya, on this particular day. He arrived by Pushpa Vimana, an airplane made of flowers from his place of exile in southern India. And as he circled over the city of Ayodhya, it was after dark, the sun had set. The citizens had been missing him for 14 years. Ram was welcomed back by Deepa Wali. Wali means millions and millions, and Deepa means lights. The whole city was illuminated with lights. Hence the festival gets its uh, name. Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune, also appeared on this particular day from the ocean of milk. That's a whole different story, but if you have ever flown into Bangkok, Thailand, there's a huge sculpture right there in the middle of the airport, which depicts the ancient saga of the churning the ocean of milk between the demigods and the demons. And as they were churning the ocean of milk, there were various byproducts. And one of those byproducts was Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune. We'll say a little bit more about her later. The other companion epic to the Ramayana is called the Mahabharata, just like we have in our Western culture, we have two epics. Can anyone name what they are? The Iliad and the Odyssey, thank you. So in India, we have two epics, the Ramayana, which is the story of Ram, which is the main reason for celebrating Dali. But there's another epic in which Krishna appears with his five devotees, the five Pandavas. They also are done wrong and sent into exile for 13 years. So they came back from their exile on this day. Uh, Krishna killed a demon named Narakasura who had kidnapped 16,000 princesses. Krishna liberated them. Bali, that's a whole nother story. In a word, Bali was a devotee, but he happened to be king of all the armies and races of the demons. He contrived to give away his kingdom to Vishnu, who appeared before him as the dwarf Vamana incarnation. Vamana pushed Bali down to one of the lower planets where he presides, but one day a year he comes back. And particularly in South India, the return of Bali, who was a great devotee of Krishna, as I said, is also celebrated with many, many lights. Now, if you're a Jain, I don't know if you've ever seen people who wear masks and sweep ants out of their way when they go down the street. They wear a mask so they don't breathe in germs and kill germs and get the negative karma. For the same reason, they sweep the ants out of their way so as not to step on the ants. They have a code of strict non-violence. What you sow, you shall reap whatever pain and suffering you cause. They believe it will come back on them. They make their level best ever to inflict as little pain as possible, even on microorganisms, even on ants, even on germs. Their founder, Mahavir, appeared on this day in history. Also, if you're a Sikh, you are Siddharji from the Punjab. The foundation of the Golden Temple in Murpsar was laid on this day. So here's Ram, and Ram is also on the altar, the right-hand side with the bow. Beside him, to his left, is his wife Sita. To his right is Lakshman. And you may not be able to see very easily from where you're sitting. Kneeling down at Ram's feet there is Hanuman. Now the Ramayana is a story of great adventures, great supernatural feats and accomplishments, but most of those were not done by Ram. 
Ram is an incarnation of God. He's capable of doing anything. For that very reason, God doesn't have to prove himself. He prefers to work through his devotees. So the Ramayana is a story of God empowering his greatest devotees to do supernatural feats beyond what they would normally be able to do. The emblem of this bhakti, this devotion for Ram, is Hanuman. He wasn't high-born kid. He didn't come from an aristocratic family. He was just a monkey, a forest dweller. But because of that quality of absolute, unconditional devotion to Ram, he was Ram's best friend. Ram, the supreme personality of Godhead, even at one point, hugged Hanuman. When Lord Jesus Christ says, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, that's called bhakti. Not leaving anything back, trusting God. So there was nobody who exemplified that better than Hanuman. To celebrate, to glorify Hanuman, we're going to sing a song. And I put the words on the board so you can at least follow. But if you want to sing along with me, you can certainly do that as well. Let's hit it, Janardin. Son of the wind, Lord of the monkeys, Ram's best friend, who eliminated the roots and destroyed all sin.
that was a rush. No, I really think we're going to do, do another one here too. Now these are fireworks. We had a big uh, fireworks display in Salt Lake City last night. All over India, there's so many fireworks displays that take place on the Diwali Eve. Festival of Light is, as is stated, it's about light. And in our culture, the soul is equated to light. The soul is compared to a particle of sunshine, which comes from the sun. God is like the sun globe, and we're like a particle of sunshine. God is full of knowledge. We're also full of knowledge. God is, is without any suffering, and we're also essentially without any suffering. But the difference is that he's great and we're small. The problem is that we all too easily get influenced by the darkness of matter with which we're surrounded. Would you say there's a lot of dark things threatened to intrude upon us mentally and physically right now? Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that, that the darkness is at the door? Okay, so the best way, at least to keep yourself happy, upbeat, confident, moving forward, is to always remember that you're not a byproduct of matter. You're not temporary. You're in a material body, which is temporary. And you're also in a material mind, which is also temporary. But you yourself are not material. The body has a date of birth, and the body has a date of death. If you think I'm the body, that's got to be depressing because everything that you hope for, everything that you work for, everything that you long for, everything that you accumulate is gonna be wrested out of your cold, dead hands at some point in time. So there's every reason to be depressed if you think you're this body. Depression, if you don't have a spiritual sense, is actually a sign of intelligence. We understand that inside the body, the temporary body and mind, there's an eternal spirit soul. You can't remind yourself of who you are, deathless, without birth, without old age, without disease, without feeling the clouds of darkness roll back and depression lift. Join me in this song and see if it doesn't result in bringing a smile to your face. When I look in your eyes, I see a shining soul. When I look in your eyes, I see a spirit soul. I see a soul that's never born, a spark that never dies. Ready to supply back to back to the spiritual status. Flame of light and love, he's like the machine. The candle never stops. The sun supplies the same. For the soul is no beginning, and the other's no small as the atom or any but something. When I look at your eyes, I see a shining soul. When I look at your eyes, I see a spirit soul.
I say Hari, you say Bol. Hari. Bol. Hari. Bol. I say Spirit, you say Soul. Spirit. Soul. Spirit. Soul. I say Spirit, you say Power. Spirit. Power. Spirit. I say Lotus, you say Flower. Lotus. Flower. Lotus. Flower. As a cloud was seated on air, so Spirit supports the flesh. Subtract the soul, just count this body in air, of course, naked in air. Not a creature wiggle, not a subtle record wiggle. Can't take a little puzzle here or there. Death, lie, youth, death. Every word, can't ignore it, can't restore it. Deader than a door now, scarier than a floor. Only thing return it, burn it, bury it, earth, earth, dust to dust, ash to ashes. Infirm body, versus a mortal soul, learn the difference, conquer the world, to be a spiritual trust. Sing out, good voice, rejoice, make some noise for the spiritual force. I say Hari, you say Krishna. Hari, Hari, Krishna. I say Krishna, you say Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. I say Hari, you say Hari. Hari, Hari, Hari. I say Hari, you say Rama. Hari, Hari, Rama. I say Rama, you say Rama. Rama, Rama, Rama. I say Hari, you say Hari. Hari, Hari, Hari. Good job. Another very important aspect of. Diwali is Lakshmi. Lakshmi is the goddess of fortune. She appeared during the journey of the ocean of milk between the demons and the demigods. And uh, she's so beautiful, no one had ever seen a feminine form as attractive as that in the history of the world. So all the demigods, Lord Rama, Lord Shiva, wanted her to choose them as her husband. They took their best pose and tried to attract her attention, and she had no interest in any of them, except when her eyes fell on Vishnu, who is another name for Krishna. She's in fact the eternal consort of Lord Krishna, and they appear incarnation after incarnation as husband and wife. So she took Lord Vishnu as her husband. Indian ladies really, really dress up for Diwali, because they are themselves the goddess of fortune. The lady, the wife, is the goddess of fortune. If you men out there are married to a good wife, you know what I'm talking about. The good man and a good wife, it's not addition. It's not one plus one equals two. But if you have a good man and a good wife and they serve God together, side by side, it's multiplication. I invite you to look at this picture here. Make a note. She's sitting with on a lotus flower. She holds two lotus flowers. Coins are cascading from her hand, and she has uh, surrounded by elements who are trumpeting. Make a mental note of that. The hymn to Lakshmi is 15 verses long in Sanskrit. I condensed it to eight verses. So these are the results that if you join me in just saying, we're not gonna sing it, saying these eight verses, you will get it is said that you will overcome all financial difficulties. Chanting this mantra on a regular basis will bestow wealth upon you, prosperity. Any faults in your horoscope, any faults in your chart, and in your karma will dissolve. Chanting this mantra brings peace, happiness, harmony, and good health. Does that sound good to anybody? Yes. Okay, so if you're interested in any of that, it, it comes from, from chanting that. So let's just recite this together, shall we? I behold the goddess Lakshmi, whose eye and ear were sent from our souls. 
She's a guardian of God for those who It's the spell of this good fortune. She's a garment of jewelry, form of silver and gold. She's a bestow of pearls, and she dwells like the moon. Present on her chair, pulled by horses, on a celestial course through the sky. She's preceded by massive elements, repeatedly shaking the elements while making the way along the highway. The trumpeting of the packed errors is louder than any sound I've ever heard. The goddess of auspiciousness, her origin is the limitless social. She's the unborn council of Lord Vishnu, adorning her hands with two lotus flowers. She devours death pounds of valuable coins which cascade down onto the ground. Goddess of prosperity, she makes the home a safe zone where prosperity is unknown. With your help, O oh Goddess Lachman, I will banish from my house the anguish of strife and relish happiness with my life. You vanquish life's calamities while simply languishing on your own. She's around in your battle, blesses all with a gentle smile, gives happiness to the senses, and blesses those who honor her Lord Vishnu without offenses or pretenses. He falls in like the sun, stunningly beautiful, her countenance is inscrutable, except with Vishnu, who is her indisputable Lord. I revere Lakshmi. Who has no fear among women, who is the protector of children. Millions of demigods like Shiva and Brahma worship her to relieve their karma. She's a personification of karma, and in the form of Surya, she is everybody's mama. Yes, you very show creatures, like a mother who supplies all the evils in abundance. Like the earth, you are a source of all fragrances. We worship you for your graciousness. Thank you for the food we have soon to receive on this long eve. In this hour, may that flower of night pour the shadows of mercy upon me. So you just made your life. We celebrate Diwali slash Govardhan Puja. There's a, there's a picture there, there's a picture there. What is Krishna doing? He's lifting a mountain with a little finger of his left hand. And not only did he lift the mountain, but he held it aloof for seven days and nights. Why? Indra uh, is not visible in that picture, but we see him in that picture. He's riding on his elephant, Arivata. And Krishna is a exhibited his pastimes as God. He appeared on earth 5,000 years ago. If, you, if you're a Christian, you believe that the Son of God appeared 2,000 years ago. He's on the planet for 32 years. Our information is that God appeared 5,300 years ago in India, and he was on the planet for about 125 years. His early pastimes he spent in our version of Bethlehem, a place called Vrindavan, now, when he was in his seventh year, just in the form of a seven-year-old child, the people in the village there did an annual sacrifice to the god of rain, Indra, because they're an agricultural village and they require rain so they get good crops. So this has been going on for many generations. But Krishna wanted to teach them not to rely on what we call demigods. 
He was present as Supreme Personality of God, and he wanted to show them that if you devote yourself single-mindedly to God, then you don't have to worry about satisfying all the minor deities. Rough example, all the purposes that are served by various wells, if you're in a village, you have to worry about cross-contamination. So you can't do everything in one well. You can't wash your clothes, you can't bathe, you can't do your dishes because it'll get polluted. You have different wells for different purposes. But if you go to the river, you can do all those things and you don't have any worries. So the purposes that are served by the small wells are all served by the river. Krishna wanted to show that if you worship God, you don't have to divert your attention to worshiping various demigods. The demigods' power is given by God and dependent upon Him. So even though he looked like just a seven-year-old boy, he was a supreme personality of God, adopting the role of a seven-year-old boy to satisfy his great devotees, like his father, Nanda Maharaj, Yashoda. If you want to find out more about that, it's a huge, huge science and a huge body of knowledge. Anyway, Krishna diverted the sacrifice paraphernalia, which was meant for Indra, and they used it to worship the cows and nearby Govardhan Hill, which would supply nice grasses to the cows. When the cows ate grass, they would produce milk, from which we get cheese, yogurt, butter, ricotta, sour cream, all this thing, ice cream, all those things would like eat. However, when Indra heard that he wasn't getting his sacrifice, and he was a little puffed up, having been in that position for a long time, failed to recognize Krishna as his Lord, he invoked these thunder clouds that are normally only invoked at the time of cosmic annihilation. He told them to go to Vrindavan, a little village, an area only 32 square miles, and destroy it. Within a few moments, the water came down like pillars, the temperature dropped, there were icicles, there was freezing cold rain, the water level was rising literally second by second, minute by minute. So what did all the inhabitants of Vrindavan do? Krishna, Krishna, they are all, all devotees of Krishna. So they looked to Krishna to intervene in the situation. And Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill with a little finger of his left hand. He held it for seven days and nights invited all the inhabitants, all the cows, all the monkeys, all the peacocks to go under the mountain where they were warm and dry. And they danced and they sang. They had a big festival for seven days. After which Indra realized the error of his ways. He called the clouds to cease and desist. And he came down and he bowed down before Krishna. Now if you go to Vrindavan, it's interesting because one of the many, many places that now you can visit there, is a big rock with two oblong grooves in it. So the guides will tell you that's where Indra's elephant. Indra bowed, asking Krishna's forgiveness, and his elephant also bowed down on that rock, and the rock melted, leaving those two oblong prints there. Celebration of Govardhan coincides with the celebration of Diwali. Yesterday in Salt Lake City, we made a miniature Govardhan hill, and we circumambulated it, and then we ended up eating the hill, which was a lot of fun. Oh, one thing I should tell you is that on this day, tens of thousands of people walk around present day Govardhan Hill. It's 25 kilometers. Anybody know how many miles 25 kilometers is? How many? 
No, it's less. About 15, yeah, 15, 16 miles. So it takes about five hours. There's a well-trodden path, very fine dust, nobody wears shoes. And they take about five or six hours to walk around. And they believe that by walking around Gobernon Hill, they will reduce their karma negative reactions. So we're just about the end here of our slideshow. The last feature of Diwali is that people eat a lot of sweets. I remember before we opened the Salt Lake City Temple, this was the only Diwali in Utah. So we used to have huge crowds. Since we kind of split our congregation, it's more convenient for people to go up to Salt Lake City. We don't have a big Diwali now, but we used to have a really big Diwali because there wasn't any place in Salt Lake people would come here in the hundreds. We're doing all the usual things. We're making our little Gobert on Hill and we're preparing the flowers and everything. About three o'clock in the afternoon, I say to my Bobby, did we cook anything for the people? And she says, ah, oh, it's okay. Everybody's going to bring something. We don't have to cook. And I'm thinking, it seemed kind of risky. You know? Well, she was absolutely right. She was hands down, absolutely right. Everybody did bring something. But it was all sweets. <laughs> so we, we managed to cook up a big pot of rice. So if you had been, maybe some of you were there, I don't know how many years ago it was. But the dinner was uh, rice and sweets. <laughs> do all the dinner. So ever since then, we did, you don't have to worry if you're getting nervous. We, we did cook some hot preparations for you this morning. Okay, broaching this subject about sweets gives me the right song to end this PowerPoint on. It's about the sweetness of Krishna. Krishna means all attractive. All beauty originates from Krishna. And at the same time, you take all the beauty there is within all the three material worlds and all the spiritual worlds, all the Vishnus, all the Brahmas, all the Shivas, all the Lakshmis, it still doesn't add up to the beauty which is present within Krishna, the original form of Krishna, and the sweetness. 500 years ago, a great saint named Malabhacharya wrote the Madhur Astakam. Astaka means eight, and Madhur means sweet. Eight verses glorifying all the different ways he's sweet. I'll recite it. You're welcome to recite it along with me. I don't know where we got this idea in the Western world that God is an old man with wrinkles and a beard. I guess it's a mundane way of thinking that God's the oldest and so he must show his age and he's the most intelligent and you don't usually get wise until you're older in life. All totally mundane reasoning. God's not subject to our mundane reasoning. The image of God as an old guy on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, Prabhupada summed it up in two words. Imaginative iconography. Imaginative iconography. Fact is, being all-powerful, God never grows old. He never dies. What's the yellow light before the red light? If red light is death, then what's the yellow light? Old age. So if there's never any red light for God, there's never any yellow light either. It's always youthful. And this will give you some idea of the sweetness of the Supreme Personality God. And we'll finish with this. Welcome to say, I'll try to go slowly so we can all. Um, his lips are sweet. His face is sweet. His eyes are sweet. 
His smile is sweet. His loving heart is sweet. His walk is sweet. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord of sweetness. His word is sweet. His personality is sweet. His garments are sweet. His posture is sweet. His movements are sweet. His surroundings are sweet. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord's sweetness. His food plan is sweet. His footprints are sweet. His hands are sweet. His feet are sweet. His dancing is sweet. His friendship is sweet. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord's sweetness. His singing is sweet. His drinking is sweet. His eating is sweet. His sleeping is sweet. His beautiful form is sweet. The marvelous form is sweet. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord's sweetness. His deeds are sweet. His conquests are sweet. His feeling and words is sweet. His loving relations are sweet. Often his favorites are sweet. His countenance is sweet. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord's sweetness. His necklace is sweet. His flower garden is sweet. His great word is sweet. And sweet are her earthly waves. Sweet are her waters. Sweet are her lotus flowers. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord's sweetness. His cowherd girlfriends are sweet. His pastors are sweet. His meetups are sweet. His adventures are sweet. His sidewalk noises are sweet. His manners are sweet. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord's sweetness. His cowherd boyfriends are sweet. His cows are sweet. His democracy is sweet. His unlimited creation is sweet. His pictures are sweet. His arrows are sweet. Everything is completely sweet about the Lord's sweetness. I thought I'd do it in the original for one main reason. Just keep in mind that the word for sweetness is madur. Madur. Just listen to how many times it repeats itself.
Namacharya Shri Hari Rastakur.